What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com coming back with another episode of the RMR podcast today, joined by special guest Carter Latimer of Paper Planes. How you doing today, Carter? I'm good. What's up? How you doing? Man, I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. You know, we're going to talk about a little bit about your journey, a lot of things, cannabis, concentrates, and that entire space. But before we dive too much into concentrates, man, I start yeah. every episode off with our guest origin story around the plant, the plant being cannabis. Yeah. Whether that's personal, professional, a little bit of both. Just curious when you and cannabis started uh, seeing one another, if you will. You know, it it really came into my life when I turned 18, like throughout high school, my dad was a basketball coach. And so I was playing sports in high school. Like it wasn't a, a big thing. We would do like off off season sessions and shit like that. And I guess that was kind of the first time I would get high with my friends. And at that point, like your first time getting high for me, it was just like laughter attacks. Mm -hmm. I mean, like an eating kind of like the classic, you know, symptoms and getting stoned for your first time. But I didn't feel like, I was functional at all. And I felt super like paranoid. I, I wanted to be in a safe environment when I did it. It was like something that I, I wasn't doing all the time. You know, I was, I was fucking with it in the off season, but it wasn't something I felt like I could like bring into my everyday life yet, especially at that point. Um, but then, you know, after I graduated high school, my sister was always in the scene. So I had an older sister. She was about five years older than me. And she had a couple of homies that, that grew in Grass Valley. And that's where I'm from, a little small town nestled in the Sierra foothills, like an hour outside of Sacramento. Uh, and the friends that she had in town were like, you know, unbeknownst to me, really, really dope growers. Right. Like I just got lucky. She she talked to me when I was 18 and was like, yo, you can uh, you can go get your script at the doctor's office and we'll post it for you at my friend's property at the end of the year, we'll give you either like $3,000 or we'll give you a pound of weed. I was like, I mean, at the time I was like, I mean, is this cool? Like, I didn't really know what the fuck was going on. She's like, no, it's straight. You won't get in trouble. Like they're all legit. They all got cooperatives. And kind of, if you remember at that point, this is 2004, 2005, most growers like in, in these small towns like Grass Valley and Humboldt, they had to post like some ungodful amount of scripts at their property to be able to prove that they could grow the plants that, that they had on site. And so you had growers that would source like all these kids in town. Right. And that was one of them. It was just like, go get your script. We'll pay you 200 bucks. We'll post your shit. It's a little bit of a risk to you, but not much. Like I'm the owner of the farm. And at the end of it, we'll give you a pound of weed or, or you know, or a few thousand bucks. So that was kind of the first like introduction to that world. I was like, all right, fuck it, let's do it. You know, I went into the doctor's office, you know, the, the whole deal made up 10 different things of what was wrong with me. The doctor in our town was actually kind of legit. That's the thing is I had to like, I had to really go prove like that I had like headaches <laughs> or like pain or some shit. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is supposed to be easy. And then it turns into like a nerve wracking appointment of like questioning, like interrogation and like, oh, like this is. This isn't, you know, what I thought it would be, but eventually, you know, got all my records. I needed like 80 pages of medical records and all this shit that I sent over to him. Finally got the script and and uh, yeah, we posted it and then six months flew by. It was the summer of my senior year and I had the choice at the end of the year, either take take weed or take cash. And at the time you could break down like a pound of good outdoor and sell it for like a thousand bucks a QP if not more, you know? So like I was, 
I was intrigued the idea that I didn't have any money at that time. Like I'm 18, dude, my parents, my dad was a teacher. My mom's like a retail and a home care nurse type of lady. Like I've never had money. My family never had money. So like even a few grand in my name was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that I could get like another thousand or 2000 if I just take this weed, you know, like maybe I should try this, but I didn't have like, I didn't have any plugs, you know, I wasn't like connected or anything. So I was a little weary to do it, but my sister, she was kind of just like, you know, giving me the confidence I needed to be like, try it out, like give it a shot, just take the weed. And uh, I did. And I ended up meeting like a homie who I worked with at Olive Garden, actually, in Sacramento <laughs> when I moved to uh, to college down there. And I lived with my sister and uh, just like busing tables, met people who I could sell weed to. And I'll, I'll never forget the dude. His name was, uh, we called him Filthy Phil. And Filthy Phil was the pers first person I ever sold weed to. He was just like a busser in Olive Garden. And I broke that down and shit, I was like off. After that, I was off to the races, bro. Shout out Phil at the Olive Garden, man. <laughs> I still talk to him here and there. He texts me. And so we, we stay in contact. I'm not sure what he's up to these days, but it's like that first plug and that first realization that you're like, oh, like, damn, I just made four or five grand. You know, I'm not making much at Olive Garden, right? You're like- right. I don't think this is, you know, what I want to do now. All of a sudden your life changes pretty quick. You're like, damn, like this is not the value that I should be getting out of shit working, whatever, 15 bucks an hour, 12 bucks an hour. Like I can't afford my college shit or rent or like go take a girl out on a date, dude. Like you can't do anything with that type of money. So like <laughs> instantly when you're that young and you have just a little bit of money, it's like, you feel like you feel great. You know, I felt like I had everything in the world and freedom. And like those, those things are what really kept me going, dude. That's what kept me like sparked on it. I was like, damn, this is nice. Like got a little, little money to move with. I'm in college. Like let's, let's keep going, dude. And from that point, like I really just became like, I don't know. I would do anything, bro. I, I sat around trim tables a lot. I would trim back then they're paying trimmers 200 bucks a pound. Like I could trim two or three pounds in a day if I grinded. So like I'd turn four or five, 600 bucks a day, sit around trim tables, like learn from the growers that my sister put me in touch with. And eventually, you know, found my way to a couple grows, you know, started managing the grows. I ended up moving to uh, college out in Reno from SAC. Mm -hmm. And that kind of presented another opportunity, you know, in a different state you know, things change from California to Nevada. And so we, we finally hustled in college and kind of got our shit together and things were going really well. But uh, it's funny, like, it's about to graduate college, been hustling for four or five years, things are good. And I realized like, dude, I'm about to get a teaching degree for social studies. Because <laughs> that's what my dad did, you know, like, my dad was a teacher, like, you just kind of follow what you know. And that's what I knew up until that point. And I always hated school. Like, I didn't even know why I was in college, really. I just knew that my parents wanted me to finish college. And so I figured, like, fuck it. Like, this is really for them. Like, they think it's going to provide something for me in my life. Like, whatever. Let's get it done. And I, I couldn't stand every second of it, bro. And by the time I got to graduating college, we kind of had some heat on us in Reno. So, like, it was, it was to the point where I was like, I think I'm going to quit hustling because like this shit's getting risky. Mm -hmm. Right. And so my, my homies and I kind of had like a heart to heart and we're just like, dude, we're about to graduate college. We spent like, I spent six years trying to graduate. So like for me, it was a long journey 
And I really wanted to, to kind of clean up at that point and figure out like, maybe there is something I can do with my life besides just like hustling weed, which is super risky. And, uh, at that point I kind of left the plan alone. That was the first time, you know, from the time of like 18 to 24 that I was, I guess I was too paranoid really. Like I was, I was just tripped out by the idea of going to jail. That shit like scared me. I, I felt like, okay, at this point I got to change. I got to do something different and uh, got into real estate for a few years. So, so when, when, yeah. when did you start finding your way to cannabis concentrates? Yeah. So it, you know, it's a little bit of a story. Thanks for bearing with me. Like at that point, I, I worked that shitty real estate job for about two years and was miserable, depressed. Like the idea of working for someone, even though these was like my friend's family, I hated it. I couldn't stand it. I didn't feel like I was really like doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I was always smoking weed during that time. So this is in Sacramento. I'm purchasing shit off weed maps like daily. I'm always, I'm just like always been a consumer in that regard where I'm spending money on things that I like. And like weed was something that I fucking loved, you know, and I wanted to find the best weed. So like I'd always source shops all over Sacramento to find, you know, who had the best flower. And at that point, wax popped up on the menu. So it was kind of like a weird thing where it's like, what is this shit, you know? But it was it was 40 or 50 bucks a gram. Like mm -hmm. even back then, dude, and this is like 2010, probably somewhere around there. I was blown away that there could be a weed price like that per gram. It was fucking crazy to me because there was like water hash on the menus, but nobody smoked it. It was garbage and it was like five bucks a gram or some mm -hmm. shit. So that, that really sparked my interest. That was the first thing where I was like, damn, what is this? Started researching right away, got on YouTube, got on Facebook. There was a, uh, there was a really cool group on Facebook called the Great Glob Society. And these were like a group of extractors like myself who had come together to share knowledge and to kind of share ideas about how to make butane hash oil. That's essentially what it was, you know, is what we ended up figuring out. Like wax is made with butane. And uh, how is that done? You got to take, you know, these glass tubes, cans of butane, pack these things full of either trim or larf or small bud, put some coffee filters on the end, get a Pyrex dish and get after it. And really, that's how it started. It was just that, you know, intriguing to me to know that there was a product selling on weed maps that I knew tons of people with the input of that product, right, where this is another like key part to starting the business farms at this time are throwing away trim, right? Okay? They, they, it's a big issue for a farm to have extra trim on their property. When they get raided, the cops aren't specifying, mm. Oh, this is trim pounds versus this is dried flour. The charge is all the same for these motherfuckers. So like they're calling me at this point and I'm asking them for trim and they're like, dude, come get it. I fucking, I want this shit off my property. It's free. Like no, no big deal. And at that point I was like, okay, cool. So I have all this like great material that I can play with really is how I looked at it at the time. And I was like, I'm just going to take this and start fucking around with it and start seeing if I can like make a product that I could dab that is different from the shit I'm seeing in the stores. Oh, I love that man. I I remember those days of the trim. I, I used to get the 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 black Glad bag. I always tell everyone for twenty bucks, twenty bucks a bag of trim. I'd, I'd shake it for Keith, and then I'd 
I'd resell the the trash bag into grocery bags for twenty five bucks a grocery bag. I don't know what people I made edibles it. with them or what, but no, I love it. And that's the thing is like people nobody realized how much of this trash is really treasure and really could be turned into something that a consumer and myself would love. You know, like it just it just took a lot of care and attention, which we learned later of how to handle the trim, how to extract it, things like that you know, down the line that we learned. But in the beginning, it was just like, let's just try to play. And and really, we found out early on about de-waxing extracts. That was like something that not a lot of people were doing, especially while you're open blasting. So we would we would open blast into, a, you know, like essentially like chest freezers that were filled with dry ice and alcohol. And then we would set kind of like this cup, just a mason jar in that cooler. And you would blast your butane into this mason jar that was sitting at like negative 110. And once you got all the butane in there, you would put the lid on, you let it sit for a couple hours, and you would take a thing called a Buchner funnel, which is a super you know, rudimentary chemistry thing. And you just pour that butane solution through there. And it catches all of the contaminants like chlorophyll, all that plant matter, the waxes, the fats, like things that really fucking ruin an extract's flavor and their smoothness. Those were what we found out early on. And uh, that really set it off to where like, let's start a company. Once, once we learned that, I was like, we got to start, you know, gramming this shit out and going to clubs with it. Yeah, that, that's definitely early because those original, the you know, the first time I always saw dabs was always, I mean, it was like damn near black. You know what I mean? It was <laughs> not, not an attractive color. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, it was rough for us in the beginning, too. Like what's what's cool about our company and what we've done is like we've had to learn from the ground up and build it from the ground up. Like we we started with shatter and pressure pots with like these Harbor Freight pumps and then eventually we learned oh my god there's like these used vac ovens online that you can get we bought a vac oven we're like one of the first people with that then we learn about oh these harbor freight pumps they have way too much oil in them we got to get an oilless pump to like lessen the contamination in our room and things like that just kept like building on the gas itself like being able to source a 120 pound tank of butane versus, <laughs> you know using a can of butane right yeah. like that became a fucking big issue and all these all these steps and things we are learning along the way, it's really what makes our company different. Like you just, we have a group of people that care about the plant, that love hash, and that have really been from day one with this movement and then not stopping. Like, you know, we'll get into what we're doing today, I'm sure later, but like we've still pushed the boundaries today and continue to learn about what we can do to make our product better. How how exciting has it been for you, obviously, as a, as a lover of the plant, but to watch that evolution, right? Because you're talking about 2010. I mean, that's like the, yeah. the, the, the dawn of the dab, if you will, right? Like the start of that that entire art form. Yeah. And it's, it's grown significantly, but, you know, just curious kind of your just personal excitement level of watching that evolution. Then also just like where you see legalization and rec and like has that helped kind of speed up that that evolution and progress cycle? You know, I, yeah. So just for the first part of the question, I was extremely excited to be able to get terpenes that were clearly tasting different than a joint. That was like the, the thing that got me like, holy shit. Like, I can't believe that you can pull whatever strain it is, these terps in a concentrated form where they're tasting like candy or whatever, like that fruit is that you, you know, 
fruit strain you extracted or gas strain. It's like, those were moments that, yeah, I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. And then to be part of that and then like sharing knowledge with friends about what they were doing and then seeing the glass blowing community like develop into crazy, like where people are buying $40,000 rigs and shit like that. Like to see it from, yeah, from tubes and cans of butane and like skillets and, you know, just dirty dabbing, dude. I mean, that's how it started. <laughs> this shit was not clean. Like it takes a real crazy motherfucker to even like take his first dab around that time. Right. Like you had to be doing some wild shit in your life, which I was like, I wasn't your normal, like sober dude, how I am today. Let's just put it that way. Like back then I was partying doing all types of shit and like, yeah, dude, torch rig, like let's fucking get it. But my friends and family were like, dude, you're a fucking crackhead. Like that, that shit was like, it was crazy. So like it took kind of a weird, you know, group of individuals to kind of break the boundaries and be okay with this. And I think what did it is the lovers of the plant, like understood that even though this was a little wild and out there, that there was something very special going on when you extracted, you know, those turbs. Oh, and then okay. what was the second part of your question? I forgot. It was just curious how you think the progression has sped up since legalization has spread and recreational cannabis has came about. Yeah. So unfortunately, like I really feel that legalization really halted a lot of innovation and, you know, just like moving our product category forward simply because if you remember 2017 is, is really like the end of, of the 215 era here in California in 2017, you had live resin dabbables selling for like 90 to hundred bucks a gram. You had like companies that were really, really focused on the plant, providing multiple SKUs, high quality, a lot of competition, like thick, profitable, small businesses, all doing really well. It was a beautiful thing. Like Prop 215 was, was amazing. And then when Prop 64 comes, you have huge barriers to entry, mm -hmm. huge multi-million dollar barriers. And, and like, they're really hard to cross for most folks. Like a lot of people like myself that were running businesses, you know, and hustling and doing their thing. We didn't know the first thing about like, you know, real regulation, licensing, administration, accounting, like you name it. Like we were very focused on like making good weed or good hash and finding a plug, using that plug. That's it. It's like a simple game. Once you like legalization came and you had tons of capital being dumped in this industry, it changed overnight the way people do business, you know? So it, it, it affected us in a really negative way. I mean, like for our category specifically, you had like every main extractor who was the shit drop out, like just to name a few, like gold coast extracts, they were so fucking big from like 2012 to 2017, I think they have the most awarded strain and high times history, which doesn't mean much today, but back then kind of meant a lot still. I think it got like first place like 30 or 40 times or some wow. shit. Those guys don't have a legal lab today or a brand. Like that's a prime example of like, what the fuck happens there? Like, why is it that like one of the best extract companies in California couldn't make it into that legal, you know, that legal market. And like, I imagine the answers are all of the above. It's so many barriers to entry and the capital and like organization and, and then like being legit and, and not being like, you know, kind of like a libertarian business owner, like plugging into the system 
you know, doing everything by the book, like a lot of really, really great hash and weed companies, they didn't want to make that transition. And so for the recreational market, it took a hit as far as like the offerings of what's available to consumers, you know, like before I loved going into shops and I spend a lot of my money in shops buying the weed and the hash that I wanted to smoke. And today it's much harder to find those drops throughout, you know, a recreational store. You still have like the main heady smokers still are on the black market, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's been tough. It's been challenging, but you know, it is what it is. Things are, things are moving forward. You can't change it. hundred percent. hundred percent. That's a good, that's a good take on it. Cause I think there's, I mean, there's pros and cons of everything, but I think with legalization has come like a little bit, you know, more accessible to get information and, and uh, you know, less risk tolerance and sharing of said information. But like you said, there are definitely some barriers um, that have been put up and I like, you know, this industry was birthed from the shadows and Mm -hmm. the, the lessening of the ability to operate and experiment in the shadows, you know, definitely I think can slow things down. And, and that's something with with you guys now at paper plans are, you know, have obviously diversified quite a bit from just concentrates to, you know, pre-rolls. I know you got like the, 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 like the beverage additive, Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, cartridges, things of that nature. Where, where do yeah. you find like inspiration in creating new product types? I'm very focused on flavor and smoothness are the two things that I focus on for all of our products. Like, so the inspiration, I mean, you know, there's something in me. I'm not sure what it is, man. It's like, I really, really love cannabis extracts to the point where like you know i spend all my time videoing them or taping them or playing with them or smoking them it's like i don't know really where that inspiration comes from it's like something something inside i think most entrepreneurs when they find a product or an idea that they like there's like that ambition just pushing them you know behind them and from day one i felt like this is going to be something back in 2010 and I knew it would go legal at some point. So that was kind of the vision and the inspiration was like, look, we'll grind this out while things are crazy. Eventually this shit's going to be legal throughout the entire world. Why not be at the beginning of it and, you know, start with that right now. Um, and, and, you know, we're talking about a little bit offline, but you, you know, you're, you're growing in, in grass Valley and, and doing some single source stuff. What is, what has kind of the take been on that? And, and what are some of the opportunities and the obstacles in going single source for, for concentrates? Yeah. So the reason behind the decision to, to go single source was mainly that I had done collaborations, I think, with every major cultivator in the industry that I wanted to do collaborations with up until that point. And if you know anything about the hash game, a lot of it is ran off collabs. Like it's kind of crazy actually, but you have extractors like myself who go run around to the best growers in California and like seven of us are all competing for the same trim or the same material. (laughs) It's kind of wild, you know, like we all know each other. We all talk to the same people and we all know when there's fresh drops coming out. So you're calling and then like, I'm, we're slowly like driving the price up between one another, right? <laughs> so the growers love it. Like, don't get me wrong. The growers are like sick. Like, this is great. I got seven extractors all competing for my material. Like, who wants it, you know? But for us, like for me doing it for a decade and now like, you know, getting into a, a more like legalized structured business, I don't want to build a business that's so attached to other businesses, if that makes sense. So like the decision to get 
our own farms. That was a big input of why we did it. The, the other reason why we did it is because Grass Valley is a very unique place. Like geographically on the map, the elevation, the, the sun, the humidity, all these things kind of combined. And then with the knowledge of the growers in that town, people have learned how to grow really, really high quality mixed light depth greenhouse weed for a very affordable price. You know, it's like, I think it's unique that the elements up there are like all in your favor. And as a, if you're a good grower and you know how to work with them, you can kind of make magic happen. And that's how a lot of people in my town made it all the way, you know, up until 2018 when this legalization shit hit was like, dude, they could plant, you know, 36 plants and they'd have like 12 pound plants. Right. And at the price of weed at that time, you're like, yeah, you're doing something that's extremely profitable. That doesn't take a lot of legwork. It's, you know, it's easy in a, in a, some respect, it's not easy, but like, it's, it's much easier than fighting battles in other climates and things like that. So like when you go, you know, closer to Humboldt, you're closer to the sea, right? That coast up there, you get all that humidity, Mendocino, same thing, Santa Barbara, you go to all these areas none of them are like grass valley and, and like if you know hustlers in the game who've been coming to our town for years they know like grass valley had the best weed like versus humble that's really like our competition it was like if you're a plug and you're coming to california to get either outs or you're coming to get depots you're coming to one of those two places and like we always heard that we kind of always knew it and so i think that that being, you know, a huge part of my background was also like, okay, this is it. This is what we got to do. We got to put Grass Valley on the map. We have to use this really high quality, affordable way of growing weed to feed all of our product SKUs, you know, which are what you mentioned before, the vape cartridges, live and cured, live and cured dabables, a beverage enhancer, and, uh, and then pre-rolls and flower products as well. But like having control over those things where, Christian and I, Christian's the breeder and the, the grower up there. He's the founder of Finest Cannabis. He's since left Finest Cannabis, but he was the original founder and breeder over there with them. He's the guy who is, is now part of Paper Plains and working on this project with me. And together, like he's able to breed shit that I'm able to extract. And together we can like look at it and be like, oh, is this special, right? Is this something we want to make a staple, which I think many companies do a great job of, but still everybody's trying to attempt to get their staple strains mm -hmm. in. Like what is going to make paper planes, paper planes? Like, yeah, you can go get, you know, whatever flavor we offer. We offer hundreds of flavors every year, but how are we going to get you 10 that, you know, come from us that you love and they're going to be the same every single time. Consistency is such a big deal in our industry. It's like, because it's a live plant, um, because of how sensitive it is, not every harvest is the same. Mm -hmm. You have you have so much variety in a consumer getting a product, right? Like that's a problem. It's a big fucking problem. When you go buy anything, it's not like that. It's the same every time, right? Whereas weed is this really unique thing that is is hard to kind of standardize. But that's what we're attempting to do with this is we're going to find things that we love, like a great OG Kush cut, right? Like that's never going away. But for some reason, like people don't have it anymore. It's disappeared. You can't get it. 
And like, it's crazy that like, you just can't get that really gassy lemony profile that you want time and time again. And things like that, like developing new strains that, you know, haven't even been out or haven't been heard of. That's a big part of it too. But just getting consistency in our product line, I think is a huge deal for a consumer. I, I really feel that it, consumers are lacking because you can't go get the same thing every time unless it's a distillate pen, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why those do so well. Distillate pens with fake terps crush because they're getting the same thing. And if they like it, they go back and they get it again, you know? So that it's tricky, but I think that'd be my spiel on it. <laughs> no, that's a great take. A lot of things in there I agree with. Um, when it comes to growing cannabis for concentrates, what kind of, obviously it's a little bit different. You know, I'm not, I'm not a grower, but I've been around quite a few. So I understand yeah. it's a little bit of a different process. What, what kind of goes into that? And since you guys are making flower products too, do you kind of distinguish just based on strain or is there some difference in the method methodology as well? Yeah. I mean, Christian does an amazing job. Like, first of all, I'm not the grower, even though I had a lot of experience while like growing and hustling and trimming, that's not my job. I'm mainly parked at the lab and Christian has SOPs that are like, it's interesting. His, his flower just throws terps. Like when we extract it and we do a sauce run, if you know anything about it, the sauce will break down into THCA crystals and a terpene layer, right? The terpene layer when he grows is like just far outweighing the, the potency sometimes, which like to some people it's like, oh, I want the potency. Our goal is to get you that amazing flavor. And if we need to add in more like diamonds or something to a batter or a vape cart to make it more potent, that's a very easy thing to do. What's very hard is getting that that real flavor out of there. What are some of your favorite strains to grow specifically for concentrates? I mean, I'm still like, this is same really like a dank OG Kush, like that White Walker OG that we used to extract from Cannabiotics, which they still have in the rotation, but I don't know if it's the same cut. That still to this day, I think would be the best probably hash anybody would would like i mean you it used to taste like just og kush concentrated and some like extracts had tried to do that but this one was just different it just watered your mouth with lemon og kush and like every usually every connoisseur kind of liked that so like having a good cut of og a good cut of headband like the sour diesel mixed in with that og on the like 707 headbands those were some, those are still some of my favorites to this day. Um, today, there's so many strains coming at us. Like Christian is growing so many that, you know, those are the ones that still stick to me. There's nothing new that I'm like stoked on. Like I would still love original Girl Scout cookies, like the real cut mm -hmm. of like the forum or like the private reserve that we used to see. You don't see any real cookies anymore. That used to extract amazing and make dank hash. OGs um, and then like Skittles, just straight Skittles though. Like none of the yeah. bullshit mixed in. Like I, I don't need any other things. Just that straight Z Terp is still probably one of the best Terps in the industry. Like these, these standards haven't gone anywhere and there hasn't been anything new that's taken their place. Like, yeah, you got Runts and you got Zushi right now making a pretty big wave. But like, dude, I look at those trades and you dab them, you taste them. It's just the same old Z runs type of shit that you've been getting for years and i prefer just the original z it's like just give me that i don't think anything's beaten that yet so we we play around with all the new shit that's coming in and try to breed it and get our own take on it um 
and then like as far as just doing things differently i mean we get to freeze all our weed right so that's a big deal like not having to process the weed cuts down on costs tremendously that's a you know something new when you're growing for extracts which most people know but it's just like a huge fucking cost efficient thing where like i don't know right now with weed it's 600 bucks a pound 700 a pound and you're paying a trimmer 160 how does that add up right it doesn't, dude. That's crazy. You're telling me I got to pay whatever percentage for a fucking trimmer to get my weed to market? Like, no, that's wild. So, like, as the price compression keeps, you know, working in our industry and working down, extracts and vape carts and, like, these beverage enhancers, I think, are the category where you're still going to be able to find high quality and affordable, which is, like, a very rare occurrence. But I think that's what we're building is, like, we're building high quality and affordability. And obviously, like you said, with the with the collabs, you know, a lot of those have been kind of small batch. Now that you guys are producing your own cannabis, I take it's still somewhat small batch in terms of you're not cultivating just a single strain, right? So what's yeah. what's, kind of, what's kind of that approach to 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 small batch and and like, I guess before actually before you get into that, can you define what craft cannabis means to you? Yeah, to me, like a craft garden is no larger than 10,000 square feet of canopy. That's how I would define it. I think once you get up into half an acre, acre of weed on one property, I mean, if you got a really tight team, I suppose that it could still be considered craft. But if you're like even a little off your game and you got an acre of weed, it gets, you know, there's some shit that kind of starts overhanging and, you know, getting left to the side and, Next thing you know, you know, your harvest isn't quite as good. And then you have like drying space. All this shit comes into play. Like the larger the farm, the larger the infrastructure you need. And a lot of times people are building these farms without the infrastructure in place to do the drying, to do these things because it's expensive. So I would say like, yeah, for that, it's about 10,000. And then for extracts, I think, you know, a small batch is really like anything where your yield is equivalent to around a thousand grams. So say if you run like, I don't know the math off of my top of my head, but I think like 40 pounds of fresh frozen at like a 4% yield gets you around a thousand grams. So if you're running a 40 pound batch of fresh frozen, that's pretty craft. Like for us, like we have a busy bee system. We can load probably about 40 pounds per run when we're doing it. And that's a single run. And, and it, the same thing applies when you get into these closed loops, the larger they get, you're getting farther and farther away from craft because you can't really control all of the you know parameters, whether it's in the garden or in the booth on these pieces of equipment. It gets extremely difficult to control chilling and like things like that, that you, you get out of that craft zone. So I would say, yeah, that's kind of how I define it. What do you think is the the next step in the evolution of, of concentrates that that uh, whether you think it's some that personally excites you or you just something you think that, that the market's going to latch on to? Um, you know, what's coming from overseas right now in Spain is like that Piatella. Have you seen that stuff? Yeah, That's making a big wave in the rosin world. And we've lost rosin in the past. We don't commercially launch it yet. Uh just haven't crossed that bridge, but I think we will in the future. But seeing that in the rosin world, I think is really exciting because they're taking that, that water hash and they're getting it to be like greasy, like a cake at room temperature, not like hard and scrapey when you're trying to get those heads out of a jar. 
but it really is all melting together and they're getting like these loafs, which they post online and they cut them up with a knife and like, that looks super fire. I would imagine if I was a rosin extractor, that's like all I would be chasing right now. That's, that's on the map for sure. And then with BHO on our side of things, like I think the, the coolest thing to come about recently is a couple extractors, us included, have figured out how to really pull live resin type terpenes off of really fresh indoor trim. So this is kind of a new occurrence where like most of the trim material was going to shatters or like cured concentrates or things and not really being able to provide a consumer the taste or like the smoothness of a live resin product. Well, like recently in the past couple of years, one of the companies that does it really well is cold fire extracts. They do mm -hmm. vapes in California. And when we see a company do something well that we're not doing, like we're instant to be like, oh, this is really cool. Like, this is amazing. We kind of fit in this too. How can we, how can we figure this out? So for the past like year and a half, we're like, let's play more with Terps, figure out how to get this, you know, this terpene layer essentially out of trim that's still dank and tastes really good. And we did that by utilizing just like even colder temperatures than we were at before, finding out on some like new equipment shit that was happening. And now we're releasing vape carts and cured dabbables that tastes like live resin. I think that's what's most exciting for our category in vapes. The dabbables, you know, BHO dabbables are having a hard time because of CRC. So I, I don't like think there's going to be, you know, much innovation in that category right now. But vapes specifically, being able to provide a consumer with a vape for 20 bucks that tastes like a live resin cart that's right now priced at 45 I think is a game changer. And that's what we plan to launch, you know, this coming August and through the rest of the year is a lot of cured cartridges with this new tech. So consumers can have what we're pitching, which is that high quality live resin taste and flavor and potency, but not the price. Just yeah, a fraction of the cost. I mean, yeah, and that's, exactly. I mean, that's obviously where the market is going in general right now with just the economy and everything, right? Like the, the, the value prop, the value products are what's moving. That's right. And they always have actually like, dude, like when we go into shops back in the day and you knew shop owners, they'd be like, bro, 80% of my business is from like $100 ounces. Right. That's what I sell to the homies. Like, yeah, your shit, your shit here, $100 gram shit, it sells, but like, it's not doing numbers like this. And like, that's been a constant forever. It's just that like, I don't know, people are paying attention more now to it where they realize finally like, no, dude, people don't have the money to pay for a $70 eighth or, you know, an $80 gram or even like a $40 eighth or a $50 gram if they smoke like stoners do. Like, right. it's funny, like weed's also so different in regard where like, if you're an alcoholic, you're probably not going to be that productive and you probably don't need like tons of weed or dabs during throughout your day. Like maybe you're drinking a little bit of your like cheap $5 vodka or your Bud Light or whatever. And like, you're getting through, but for weed guys, like, Dude, I smoke like three grams of oil a day, maybe at quarter of weed. Like if I were to put that on recreational prices, my yeah. weed budget would be like 20 grand a month, dude. Like <laughs> who the fuck, if you're not like a millionaire, who can afford this shit really? And so like, I think all of us, when I say us cultivators, manufacturers, brand owners, we really kind of lost contact with the market a little bit, which is like, dude, 
do you want to sell like hundreds and thousands of these units, you know, or do you want to sell a few? Like I want to sell hundreds and thousands. Like I want paper planes to be everywhere one day. Like we're starting in California. We've got some deals and going in Florida, but like, I think we want it everywhere. And in order to do that, you have to keep a consumer in mind of like, what can they spend every day on that product? And the, the number is really what we found is like, it's anywhere from 15 to $25. When you have a, a product at that price, consumers are happy with it. They're willing to buy it every day and like they're willing to stock up on it. But it's really hard to get that when you're slanging super expensive products. So we've we've shifted our mind on that over the past couple of years for sure. No, I love that. And that's a great point. I mean, that, the hype, you know, I think all of us in the culture love the hype, you know, buy into it when, when products live up to it. Right. Yeah. And, and for us, it's always been about good flavor, good weed. But I think for a lot of us, uh, we've always been real close to the commerce of said products. So we don't really pay those retail prices, you know, and I think you hit the nail on the head. If you're, if you're right. smoking in volume, uh, you, you just simply can't. And I think it's always to your point. Everyone's always, I've always said this, everyone's always had whatever it, their, their quality standard is. They're always looking for the best price, yep. at, you know, somewhere close to that quality standard, but the best price, like you will go get a deal on the same thing if you can, because you're going to smoke. Yeah. It and you really, you highlighted a good point, which is all of us know each other. And that was our circle. So we're all like giving free weed away to each other all the time. And you don't, you don't conceptualize what your habit was, but like, I remember I did it one year and I was like, oh my God, like, I know I do take some dabs out of my lab, but like, is it that fucking many? Like, is that the dollar amount? You know, I kind of have a realization where like, damn, this is my habit. And then like, how is anyone going to do this? And that, that's when it really switched for me, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. That's, 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 that's a great point. And I think it's very important for operators to understand that. Cause even looking at these new, newer markets, companies build entire business plans built on, you know, product prices that are just unrealistic. You might see that at the start of legalization, but whether you're, you know, gray market, black market, rec market, prices yeah. come down, man. Competition brings the That's prices right. down everywhere. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um, Carter, man, well, I really appreciate your time today, man. For people out there that want more information at paperplanes.extracts on Instagram, is there anything else you'd like to plug before I get you up out of here, man? No, that was really fun. I enjoyed enjoyed our conversation, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. So for everyone out there, if you're watching on YouTube, the subscribe button is somewhere underneath Carter over there. If you listen on uh, Spotify, Apple, go ahead and follow this podcast. Check out some past episodes. We got new stuff coming out every week. And then also every day of the week, new stories dropping at respectmoreagent.com. Appreciate everyone for tapping in today. Shout out the Olive Garden. Shout out Filthy Phil. Shout out Paper Plains Extracts, man. Oh, yeah.